Hey guys, if you're interested in checking out a video version of the show, please visit the Low Key Geek channel on YouTube. There you can not only catch the video version of the podcast, but you can also check out my other projects and short form video that I produce. You can find a link in the description. Otherwise, sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. All right, y'all, show of hands, who's watched Spider-Man No Way Home? Well, if you're like me, you are also one of thousands and thousands of people who saw it over the weekend. That's why it has broke a whole bunch of records in the box office, and we'll talk about that in a little bit. Plus, some anniversaries that make me feel extremely old. It's the Talking Talk Pod Showcast, coming at you now! What's up, everybody? It is another episode of the Talking Talk Pod Showcast. Here on a Tuesday, usually I've, well, recently I've tried to upload these on Mondays, but I was invited to a last-minute screening of Matrix Resurrections. Um, So I saw the movie last night. It comes out, as of the taping of this, it comes out tomorrow uh, in theaters and on HBO Max. Um, just brief thoughts, it's aight. Uh, but if you want to hear my full thoughts, I will have a full spoiler review uploaded on the channel on Wednesday morning, tomorrow morning, because it's one of those movies that I find extremely difficult to do a non-spoiler review on. Yeah, I could talk about the acting and you know the cinematography the music and you know my feelings and all that stuff but this is the kind of movie that you really want to talk about the nitty-gritty of everything and as i was formulating a semi-script in my mind of what a non-spoiler review would look like i just couldn't do it i really could not and i found the same issue also when it came to spider-man no way home um it was kind of hard for me to put together a non-spoiler review um so I did, I, I did my best, and I also did my. Uh, what I'm trying to do these days is do more of an explanation video about the ending and any post-credit scenes and all that. Um, but this week I will also upload kind of like a full spoiler talk about No Way Home, um, because it, again, it's just one of those movies like The Matrix where it's best to talk about everything freely. Um, and that's the only way that I could really show either my appreciation or my displeasure, displeasure or displeasement. I don't know. You know what I mean of, uh, what I watched of the movie. So stay tuned to the channel there. I will also try to upload those on, um, podcast form. If you are new and you're just watching this for the first time, this is the Talking Talk Pod Showcast, your unofficial weekly pop culture podcast where I talk about movies, uh, streaming, collectibles, video games, all that stuff, the top uh, topics of the week, and I put my little spin on things. Um, you could find these shows uploaded every week on the Loki Geek channel on YouTube. And if you're an audio listener or you prefer to listen on audio format, you can also find it in podcast form on your podcast platform of choice, like 
iTunes or it's Apple Podcasts or Apple Podcasts or Spotify, just to name a few. So thank you for tuning in. And for those of you who are regulars, I always appreciate you guys tuning in and checking me out and checking the show out. So all that out of the way. Um, also, don't forget to subscribe if you haven't done so already. Uh, and you just want to show your appreciation for what you've watched and you kind of like what I talk about, the easiest way to do so is just to hit that subscribe button and also hit that like. Uh, another huge, huge um, way to show appreciation and uh, support the channel is to check it out on podcast format. You know, like anytime someone plays or downloads an episode, um, it gets recognized. So be sure to do that if you don't mind so and um if it prompts you uh leave a good rating that always helps as well um but yeah before i get into the the spider-man talk and all that stuff like that i'm pretty sure unless you are doing your best to ignore everything news related um the situation out there right now is starting to heat up again and if you're like me and you live on the east coast especially in the new york area Tons of stuff are starting to close up again. So, obviously, in New York City, the biggest draw for anyone visiting is Broadway. You have tons of shows that are starting to suspend or cancel shows. Um, I know Wicked and Hamilton have decided to um, suspend all um, shows until after Christmas, um, if possible, if they could reopen. Um, Broadway shows that just started or have started recently, like the Alanis Morissette Jagged Little Pill has closed permanently because of the situation out there. And I'm sure it's hurt their, you know, uh, revenue and everything with everything going on. Plus, New York still has a huge lack of tourism. Um, you know, travel from international countries are still very difficult and there's a lot of procedures and protocols in place and all that stuff. Certain restaurants are starting to be a little bit more careful and all that. And the reason why I bring it up is because I was not aware last, like end of last week through the weekend that things were starting to really ramp up until I watched SNL. I watched Saturday Night Live and I'm not saying like I'm not paying attention at all. I, I obviously am very much aware of everything that's happening out there. Um, but as far as the day-to-day -day procedures and protocols and all that stuff, updates to all that stuff, uh, I always usually catch it like a couple days later or whatever. But I did not, I was not aware that things were starting to close down as badly. And when I watched SNL, I was surprised because you know, if if you've seen it, you know what I'm talking about. And if you haven't, the show opened up with Tom Hanks just coming on screen and no applause was had. No one was cheering or, or you know, saying anything. And then I noticed like the band behind him, there was only one dude. And I was like, uh oh, what's happening? You know, and he looked kind of, you know, tried to be as jovial as possible. But then he said because of the ramp up and because of things heating up, them over there at SNL have decided to, and plus it's the holidays. It's like one of the worst times to worry about a lot of this stuff. He said that everyone there have decided to tell everyone to go home, stay home. 
they were working on a very tight skeleton crew, uh, which included some, you know, stagehands and camera people, sound people, and only a handful of the actors were on board. Um, and they were still pushing through and, you know, going forward with the live show. And Paul Rudd, who is the host, um, he was there too. But the it's kind of unfortunate for him because he was supposed. This was supposed to be his fifth time hosting. And the running joke that they always have at SNL is that you're going to be part of the Five Timers Club. You know, it's a big. Um, um, prestige to be able to say you've hosted SNL five times and there's only been very few people who've done so you know Tom Hanks was one of them um, Steve Martin is another um, you know just to name a few and they were supposed to welcome in uh, Paul Rudd as five-time host so it was kind of you know bittersweet for him you know not being able to do the full show uh, in front of a live audience and not being able to do all the skits that they were rehearsing all week. Now, they did pre-tape some stuff during the week that they showed um, and they just ended up also showing older clips, like holiday type clips um, from past shows and all that. So it's it's so unfortunate, but it is the, the main takeaway here is that we are not in the clear, unfortunately. So whatever you can do just to take care of yourself and the people around you, do so as much as possible. I know you're tired of hearing about all this stuff. I'm tired of hearing it. I'm tired of always talking about it. I try my best not to talk about it on this show, but it's hard not to when it affects pop culture, which is what I talk about, right? So just something to put out there. But it didn't look like it affected Spider-Man No Way Home's box office because a bunch of people, myself included, went out in full force to watch this movie because, as I've mentioned numerous times in the past, this is the most hyped-up movie of the year. I've never... It's been a while since we've seen any kind of movie talked about relentlessly on social media, news coverage, articles, videos... You know, the controversy of all the leaks and spoiler talk and speculations galore of what's going to happen, who's going to show up, all that stuff. And it finally came to a head last week when the movie came out. And like I said, people came out in full force and it broke all kinds of records um, everywhere. And, um, you know, for a movie that's opened within this current situation, it opened up worldwide to $600.8 million. I mean, that is phenomenal for a pandemic release. Now, just imagine if we weren't in this situation. Let's say this was 2019. These numbers would probably be, be more staggering because... You know, there's still a lot of parts of the world that are in lockdown. You know, not all cinemas are always open. Um, you know, some are half capacity. Uh, but here domestically, it opened up to 260 million. Now, I am pretty sure of it. I'm pretty sure that if this was pre-pandemic times, this would have broken the 300 million mark. Easy. I really do think so. Um, but yeah, like I said, huge box office numbers, but it broke a bunch of records and everything. And I figured let's talk about that. Now I'm reading this article 
off of The Hollywood Reporter here. And the first record to mention is that it's the third biggest worldwide opening of all time. All right. Only films to open higher were Avengers Endgame at $1.2 billion and Avengers Infinity War at $640.5 million. No Way Home supplanted The Fate of the Furious, uh, which pulled in $541.9 million to take the number three spot. Now, this excludes China uh, because I believe No Way Home hasn't opened in China yet. I think there are some issues there. Um, but, um, oh no, I'm sorry, I'm reading this wrong. My bad. Excluding, now, if you were to exclude China, No Way Home ranks as the number two opening of all time behind Endgame. I'm sorry. It's, uh, the one that's, um, suffering the, the movie that's not being able to open up in China, I think is, uh, I'm thinking way back about Shang-Chi and all that stuff like that. Um, but, Next uh, thing to note here is the biggest worldwide opening of all time for Sony's Columbia Pictures. Spider-Man 3 in 2007 was the previous biggest at $381.7 million. Now think about that for a minute. The Sam Raimi Spider-Man series was a huge hit, right? Um, number two still arguably being one of the better comic book movies of all time. So the anticipation and hype going into the third movie was huge. So at this time in 2007, 381.7 million is nothing to sneeze at, right? But, you know, No Way Home pulling in domestically 260 and worldwide 600.8, I mean, that's amazing in itself, right? Now, it's also the second biggest domestic debut of all time. Avengers Endgame leads the list of top openings with 357 million no way home edged out infinity war again 257.6 million to play second followed by infinity war star wars the force awakens is next on that list at 248 million and star wars the last jedi 220 million with jurassic park rounding up that list at 208.8 million jurassic world um, so, uh, again, another accomplishment for Spider-Man No Way Home. It's the biggest December opening of all time. So it beat Force Awakens, which opened at $529 million in 2015. Now, this is worldwide, right? Domestically, I'm curious as to what those numbers really look like. Um, A-plus cinema score. No Way Home is, the only, is only the fourth live-action superhero mo- movie to receive the coveted audience grade after Avengers, Black Panther, and Avengers Endgame. So, A-plus cinema score ranking. Uh, Some international highlights this article points out here is that it's the biggest opening of all time in Mexico with a five-day debut of $32.4 million. It's the second biggest opening of all time in India for a Hollywood title at $18.2 million. Third biggest opening weekend ever in Australia at $18.7 million. Fifth biggest in Russia um, at $17.4 million. And among smaller markets, the biggest opening weekend ever in the Ukraine at 2.4 million and Turkey, 1.4 million. Uh, upcoming openings that still are haven't done that are expecting No Way Home to open soon is Japan at uh, 7th, January 7th, uh, while a date for China. Oh, so I am right. So it hasn't opened up in China yet. Duh. Hello. Um, 
has not yet been announced. I, and I'm wondering why that is. Um, I, I think I read an article before that um, there was some issues with China accepting Spider-Man to open up over there. Because um, if you are not aware and you don't follow the trade and all that stuff, in recent years, China has been the game changer for a lot of movies. Um, Hollywood numbers in China have been huge uh, pre-pandemic. So a lot of studios will always focus heavily on the China market because tons of people spend lots of money going to movies out there. And, you know, you have a bigger population out there, of course. So it's made huge differences for a lot of Hollywood movies that maybe domestically have not done so great, right? Um, we've seen that with Pacific Rim. We've seen that with um, the Fast and Furious, the Jurassic um, Worlds, uh, just to name a few, right? Obviously, the Godzillas, the uh, Americanized Godzillas uh, play out huge out in Asia. You know, so, you know, when you hear about movies coming out, everyone always wants to focus on the China market because those are huge numbers that really help the overall totals for these Hollywood blockbusters. Shang-Chi not being able to come out in China um, was always a big asterisk because everyone was wondering, well, what could it have pulled in if it was able to breach that China market? And the reason why it didn't come out there was because some controversy about some of the actors in the movie saying some not so great things about China and blah, blah, blah. It's very political. Um, and, I'm, and I think Spider-Man is kind of suffering the same fate here. But still, without China yet, you know, playing No Way Home, these are staggering numbers across the board, right? So really exciting stuff. And for me personally, um, it's all well-deserved. I mean, I've seen the movie. You've heard my thoughts if you've watched my video on YouTube. Uh, and if you haven't done so yet, you could find my non-spoiler review on YouTube right now, uh, plus my ending explanation video. Um, but this... You know, Marvel, and let's face it, Marvel was the main player when it came to this movie. I, I mean, I know it still belongs to Sony, the property of Spider-Man, but Marvel has its hands all over this thing. They did something that uh, is unprecedented. And now, because of what they did, and if you're watching Hawkeye, because of what they're doing in Hawkeye too, it kind of feels like sky's the limit now with Marvel. You know, it's like they're they're um, bringing in things and introducing things and kind of um, combining universes or what have you. I'm, I'm trying my best not to be spoiler, you know, not to spoil anything here. But they're doing things that are that we never thought we would be able to see. Now, knowing that they also have the X-Men franchise now back in their hands you know, the Netflix uh, stuff. Um, we know Fantastic Four is coming out soon, uh, which is also being directed by John Watts, who also directed all three of the Tom Holland Spider-Mans. That's why I am more excited about Fantastic Four. I was already excited when the property went back in the hands of Marvel and Disney because I think they're going to be able to do wonders with that property. Um, I'm a huge Fantastic Four fan, have always been since a child, since I was a child. Um, and now seeing what John Watts was able to do with the Holland Spider-Mans, I am so, so excited to see what he's going to do with Fantastic Four. So 
everything here is very well deserved and again if you were one of the the many who've seen the movie you would understand why now i also know there are a lot of people who have yet to watch this movie um you know showings have been sold out all through the weekend and uh people are going to be trickling into watching this movie for this week especially now that christmas is right this weekend so this could be a family outing for a lot of people um spilling into next week and for a couple more weeks to come because outside of the matrix um there are no other big movies coming out so spider-man's going to be in the top five for a while at least for the next month or so um and again with the release coming out in japan in january and hopefully they could breach the china market um i know in Japan, Spider-Man is huge out there. Spider-Man is huge globally. That's that's the thing that I think a lot of people tend to forget here. And I keep reminding people because people always think like, oh, what's the top superhero of all time worldwide, right? It's so easy to want to say like Superman or Batman, but it, it's really Spider-Man. And numbers prove it. I mean, anytime something Superman related is announced or released, yeah, there's huge hoopla and all that. Batman, same thing, but no numbers are as staggering as what we see anytime Spider-Man, something Spider-Man related is announced, movie-wise, you know, anything franchise related, um, because Spider-Man speaks to a more global audience, you know, because he's a little bit more relatable, and he doesn't really stand for a political thing, or you know, he's not so overly violent like Batman is. Um, you know, you know, Captain America, Superman, they're very tied to like the American way, right? Um, it's kind of hard not to see them that way. So it's kind of hard to really um, explain that and have international territories and countries adapt to that type of mentality or that, you know, philosophy or ways of thinking or that um, visualization, right? Spider-Man is about a kid who came to across these powers and he has to deal with it and he has to do what's right and you know save people and you know he stands for a, a moral code that a lot of people can really relate to everywhere um and he's just likable he's a likable character right you know you root for the underdog you know i think that is kind of what a lot of people always do and they always like to to root for and they always like to fall into right so globally spider-man is huge and and that's why we're seeing numbers like this um and again it, it just begs to question what would it be like if we weren't in the current situation that we're in now around the world, right? I mean, we, we would be talking about monstrous, monstrous numbers, right? So, again, very interesting stuff. And I know a lot of people aren't interested in the revenue numbers and box office numbers and all that. Um, I've always been a huge fan of it for a long time. I find it fascinating. I find the business fascinating. That's why I'm a huge fan of movies. Um, but like I said... Um, in the past, the reason why it's important to pay attention to things like this is because it's the it's the compass. It lets you know through the data, through the numbers, what people like and what people are interested in and what they're going out there and doing. They love Spider-Man and despite what's happening right now, people went out in droves to watch this movie. 
um, the the showing I went to, my first showing was on that Thursday, the preview day, the preview night, as they call it. And the theater was packed. And I haven't been in a theater like that in a long time uh, in the last two years. Half packed, yes. Three-fourths packed, yes. But this, every seat was taken. And that was like that for multiple showings that day. And the crowd was boisterous, you know, applause, cheers, all that stuff. And I've said this before already, but it was a movie-going experience. It was an event. This is an event movie. This is the only event movie we had this year and the last two years, right? You know, and it brings it back to how it was before all of this. Um, and then the second showing I went to was the next day at 12 noon. And that theater was three-fourths packed. This is earlier in the day on a Friday, right? So people still have work. But it's also interesting the crowd to see the crowd because this was a more younger crowd. And when the movie ended and the credits, you know, finished out and all that stuff like that, even the usher came in and made a joke and be like, don't worry, I'm not going to tell any of your teachers that you cut class just to watch this movie because I think he also noticed that it's definitely a younger crowd, right? And the theater I watched it at is very close to a college nearby. So it was a lot of college students too, right? So, but yeah, the impact that Spider-Man has worldwide, uh, we're seeing it and I think it's great. You know, I think it's really great. Uh, if you follow social media, you'll, you'll notice that there's a lot of hashtags floating around. If you haven't seen a movie yet and you're on social media, I feel sorry for you because it's very hard to avoid spoilers at this point. Um, and I and I talked about this recently, too, where it's just avoiding spoilers for anything Marvel related or Disney related is a pain in the ass right now. Because even you have Disney that is announcing things or promoting stuff that happened on a show the day after already. So it doesn't they don't even give you a break or time to catch up. And like if you're not watching it on that day, then you're screwed. If you're like big into social media and all that, I hear on TikTok, you know, you could just be scrolling through your your stories or I don't know what they call them, your talks or your ticks. You could be scrolling and then all of a sudden a video will pop up with someone recording one of the scenes from No Way Home, you know, or reacting to something or just, you know, blatantly screaming it out. So it's very hard to ignore right now. And hopefully... If you are lucky enough to avoid all that stuff and you get to watch it fresh, then that's amazing. That's one of the things that I wish I was able to say I could do. I wish I was able to say that I went into No Way Home watching only one trailer and not knowing about any of the leaks, any of the spoilers, and not listening or reading any of the speculations you know it's kind of hard to do that with what i do on this channel you know but some of the major spoilers that were leaked out uh i did my best to avoid once i found out that that happened and then unfortunately it hit me um out of the blue uh through uh, a channel that normally doesn't do that stuff but one of them slipped and even he caught himself and he felt really bad about it. But it put that in my mind. Now, I'm not saying that it ruined my experience for the movie. It's different when you hear about it or you read about it and then you watch it. 
huge difference because the feeling is still there. Plus, I think it really helped that the crowd I was watching the movie with were all like us. They were all into the movie and they were all super excited. So we all reacted the same way and that made it even better. And when I that's why I say watching movies in theaters is really should be looked at as a communal experience because that crowd reaction you are all sharing the same type of reaction um and you know someone recently wrote an article about how they are really uh pissed off about people clapping and cheering at you know showings of spider-man no way home and all that and it just sounds to me like that dude is just not happy he needs some more joy in his life um and maybe i'll talk about that separately in another video but what's the point in going to the movies if you're just gonna sit there and be quiet in a movie like spider-man no way home now i understand if you're watching um macbeth or if you're watching spencer right you don't want people like cheering or hooting during that movie because that's a more serious movie right yeah macbeth is on screen yeah you go dog you know, or something like that, you know, watch out for them witches, they're brewing something crazy. I mean, if I was in a showing of Macbeth and someone was screaming out that stuff, I'd probably be like, okay, time to go. Um, but yeah, when you're watching a movie like Spider-Man, I mean, there's no way you can avoid that. Unless you're going four weeks later at a 10 a.m. showing or 1 a.m. showing, then yeah, it's going to be dead quiet because hardly anyone's ever going to be there at that point, right? So, whatever. It is what it is. But yeah, Spider-Man No Way Home. Let me know in the comments if you've watched the movie. You know, what your thoughts of it were. Are you surprised with these numbers? I'm sure a lot of us aren't. Maybe some of us are. Those who don't really follow box office numbers and all that. Or maybe you're not aware of how bad the box office has been the last two years. You know, for a movie to come out like this is huge and we haven't seen these numbers this whole time during the past few years so um it just shows signs that you know movie theaters and and box office and all that that can still matter and as a movie fan like i am you know that means something to me and it makes me feel happy because i don't ever want to lose that movie going experience i never want to lose that you know, yeah, we've learned in the last two years how comfortable it can be watching movies at home and watching things on the streaming platforms, you know, not having to worry about going out there, not having to worry about spending so much money on a movie ticket or concessions, right? I get that. Trust me, I really get that. Um, but there's just something about that experience in the theater that I was introduced to at a very young age that I kept with me this whole time. And I never want to lose that that experience and that ability to experience that. Um, and I know a lot of people are very different. They don't care about that stuff anymore. And that's fine, you know. But I just always want the ability to be able to do that. And there's always that fear that we could lose that experience because it's just not feasible anymore. It's just not, you know, there's no return on investment anymore for things like that. But for movies like this, it's nice to see that you can see that there is still an impact and it still matters. So, all right, moving on to other things. Um, something now, 
last week and Monday news was not, you know, there was a lot, a lot of news and all that because, you know, there was a lot of anticipation for Spider-Man coming out. Now this week is also the Matrix. Plus, we're also like in holiday season. So things are starting to slow down just a little bit. So not a lot of mo- uh, news, but I was extremely excited to hear about um, um, a, be- a piece of news that was released by uh, Ubisoft. How do you guys pronounce it? Is it Ubisoft or Ubisoft? I always pronounce it as Ubisoft um, because I know they're kind of a French company, right? Um, but anyway, those guys um, announced that they are m- making a remake to Splinter Cell. So a Splinter Cell remake is on the way, and they're looking for like developers and people to help out and join the team. I've been dying for Sam Fisher to come back in his own title for a long while now now i wasn't thinking about a remake i was thinking of a continuation to the story that we've already been knee deep deep in with the multiple of titles that have been released the reason why i love splinter cell so much is because it combines two things that i love when i'm gaming action and stealth and gadgets you know, I think all of us who are into action movies and into playing games, we all love the ability to kind of play out that role of a spy, right? Spies are huge. Um, and Splinter Cell allowed you to really do that, you know, it allowed you to really infiltrate areas, use all these gadgets like cameras that poke through under doors to look around, to really set up traps, um, see, you know, utilize your night vision in a great way. Uh, it kind of revolutionary revolutionized the spy genre in gaming. Now, of course, you had Metal Gear that came out before that, um, but I think Splinter Cell took it to that next level, especially when it comes to multiplayer. The fact that you had the ability to be spies versus mercs, and a lot of people would argue that the spies had a huge advantage. I think those are just people that are crying because they're not good at playing the game. But anyway, or maybe I'm biased because I love spies, right? And I always loved playing the spy. But the the ability to actually play modes like that with your friends or people online was so exciting and very different, right? And I really, really loved the series. And I've been wondering, when are they going to bring it back? Because it's been a long time since we've gotten one. I think, and I'm going to look this up right now. Let's see here. And I'm looking for a standalone game. I'm not looking at where he kind of, you know, joins some some Fortnite bullshit or whatever, right? Um, here, let's look at. So the last game that we got was back in 2013. That's a blacklist. Splinter Cell Blacklist. That's a long freaking time for a franchise to to be dormant. Um, but it's had seven titles under its belt. It was first, you know, introduced in 2002. And then it seemed like every other year or every year there was another game that came out. You know, 2002, we had Splinter Cell. 2004, we had Pandora Tomorrow. 2005, we had Chaos Theory. 
2006 double agent, 2010 conviction, and then 2013 blacklist, and then silence. Right? Um, and it saw a lot of the more recent game consoles that have been released, right? So I'm... The fact that they're doing a remaster, so I, I guess they're just bringing it back to basics, right? And just doing what everyone else seems to be wanting to do right now is just remake the original of something, right? Um, but now that we are in this next-gen phase of gaming, they want to bring back... Well, obviously, it's been, two, you know, since 2002. We're talking about, you know, 19 years um, since the game came out. So what a great way to reintroduce it to uh, us old-timers or introduce it to new gamers who've never experienced it before in a remade version with the next-gen graphics and hooplas and all that stuff like that. What a great way to do it. And I find it extremely exciting, and I can't wait. I wonder who they're going to have to voice Sam Fisher, right? Because uh, for the longest time, it was uh, Michael Ironside. Uh, it'll be really interesting because you have to nail a good voice for Sam. That was one, another draw of the series was that the good voice acting for the character made you really fall for this character. made you really, really like this character a lot. Um, because, yeah, you're going through a lot of these missions and all that, but it's the storytelling in itself is great. Um, you know, and it's for a Tom Clancy game. This is this was like one of the only few Tom Clancy games that I played religiously. You know, I've never been a big Rainbow Six guy. Um, you know, I've never been like a huge Ghost Recon guy. You know, I play it off and on. Um, but yeah, I, I honestly cannot wait. Um, kind of makes me want to go back and play some of the ones that I haven't played in a while. And I did that also, I think, recently as of as recent as last year, I believe. Yeah, my memory, it's funny how your memory can go after one year. But uh, last year on, when I was on Twitch a lot, I think I did play an older Splinter Cell game. And I was loving every minute of it. So what are your memories of Splinter Cell? Let me know. Um, are you looking forward to this remake? Um, what is something that you are looking forward to that, that you want them to include or make sure they don't forget in this remade version of Splinter Cell? Let me know in the comments. Uh, let's talk about it because I'm excited. I, there's no provided uh, expectation as far as release date is concerned. So we could be waiting for this for a good couple of years or more. Um, I just can't wait. I, I, I want this. I want this so bad clip that out that could be a funny clip out but yeah i i want it i really want uh swinner cell so all right before i move on to the last bit of topics it's going to be a little shorter show um for this week um again a lot less things to talk about because of um lack of news and and announcements and all that but there's a lot of things coming out right there's we just got No Way Home. Matrix comes out. The last episode of Hawkeye um, comes out this week. Um, next week, Book of Boba Fett is coming out. Then we also got Season 4 of Cobra Kai. So there's a lot of stuff coming out that I'm super excited. A lot of you are watching now The Witcher. Season 2 of The Witcher is out on Netflix. The Wheel of Time is closing their season out this week, I believe, this weekend. 
Uh, Dexter is still in full swing. So there's a lot of uh, great stuff happening right now. So uh, definitely I will be talking about all these things in the next couple of weeks. <clears throat> but before I get into uh, the last bit of things I wanted to talk about, do you like coffee? I love coffee. I have to have coffee every day. It keeps me going. It's the holiday season, and now I know it's a little too late to kind of buy gifts and all that, but you're never too late to give something, someone something. Why not give the gift of coffee? Clean coffee with Bulletproof Coffee. The reason why they're called clean coffee, or I call them clean coffee, is because they go through a very in-depth process of making sure that their beans that they harvest are fully cleansed of all toxins and chemicals, and you really taste the difference like when you brew the coffee. One thing I always say about coffee is like I hate it when it's so acidic. Um, you get that a lot with some Starbucks brands. You get that like Dunkin' Donuts or what have you. I never get that feeling when I drink Bulletproof coffee. You know, um, it's because of that, that the whole process. Plus, it's nice to know that all the beans are harvested and purchased from Rainforest Alliance certified farms. So uh, these are farms that are fully sustainable. You know, um, they protect the environment and they make sure that they are very careful with what they do. Um, and it leads to a great brand of coffee, in my opinion. Bulletproof Coffee is a brand of coffee I've been drinking for a long time. And I want you guys to experience the same thing, too. And by doing so, you are also going to be help, helping support the channel. But you also get a 10% discount with your first purchase by using the discount code LOKIGEEK, one word, all caps, by hitting the referral link in the description of this episode. Go ahead and buy yourself a starter pack. Um, test out their many styles of coffee. Uh, you could try out their butter coffee, their uh, way to kind of enjoy coffee in a different way that can be added to your diet routine. Uh, I did that before, and it's a very unique experience. It's like a buttered a smooth buttered latte and basically what you do you brew the coffee and you put like a slice of butter in there or you could get one of their uh, specific butters that they uh, sell which is has a little a lot more proteins and what have you and it really tastes like a buttered smooth a smooth buttered latte which is very very and it's an interesting experience i never thought i would think about drinking coffee with butter but it's, it's definitely a, a good thing to have and add to your diet because it helps cleanse yourself. And, you know, it's kind of like a, a, a shake. In, in that sense, it's like you're drinking a protein shake, but with added caffeine to get you going through your day. So if you want to try out Bulletproof Coffee, make sure to visit the link in the description and use the discount code LOKIGEEK and you'll get 10% off at checkout. Do so experience what I experience and also you are going to be helping support the channel um, by doing so. So thank you for that and thank you for all of you guys uh, with all of your continued support. So the last bit of things I like to talk about is we've this past week we uh, had some kind of uh, huge uh, anniversaries. Um, when it comes to movies and pop culture, especially for me personally, these anniversaries uh, are really meaningful. One of which kind of opened my eyes out again to unique directing, different ways to tell a story, uh, and 
one of the works of a very uh, legendary director in the Stanley Kubrick, and that is A Clockwork Orange. Clockwork Orange turned 50 years this past week. Can you believe that? 50-year anniversary for Clockwork Orange. Um, It's not an easy watch if you're not into those things, right? Um, But it's a very uh, unique sci-fi fiction tale. Um, I wouldn't call it post-apocalyptic, but it definitely has a lot of Big Brother vibes to it, kind of like 1984 or Brazil. Um, you know, it's very visually, there's a lot of stuff that you see visually that you will never forget once you um, watch the movie. It's based off of a very famous book as well. Um, but it also introduced us to Malcolm McDowell. Uh, this was one of his first films that at least people like us here in the U.S. Uh, was our first exposure to Malcolm McDowell. Um, and basically, it's a band of hooligans. I'll read you the synopsis according to um, Google here. Uh, in, in England of the future, Alex, portrayed by Malcolm McDowell, and his droogs uh, spend their nights getting high at the Korova milk bar before embarking on a little of the old ultraviolence while jaunting, uh, jauntily warbling, singing in the rain uh, after he's jailed for bludgeoning the cat lady to death. The cat lady. Oh, my God. When If you see that scene, my God. Talk about scenes you'll never forget. Um, Alex submits to behavior modification techniques to earn his freedom. He's conditioned to abhor violence. Returned to the world defenseless, Alex becomes a victim of his prior victims. So it's a very interesting movie. I think it was one of those movies that I personally think was ahead of its time. And I don't think a lot of people really understood a lot of it. Um, if you watch it now, it may seem a little dated at times, but the messaging is not. I feel like the messaging is very relevant to today. And I've been meaning to do a rewatch of it. It's been ages since I've seen it. Um, that's why it's kind of not as fresh in my mind. Um, but I, I am planning to do a rewatch of it soon. And I think I will do a video about it because it's a very interesting movie. And... HBO Max just recently released a documentary about it, too. It's called uh, A Forbidden Orange. And it's a documentary about the the making of this movie that I definitely want to check out as well. So, um, and what it means to me, again, it it showed me a different type of storytelling that I was not um, exposed to growing up. Um, There were several directors and several movies that have really opened my eyes to my love of movies. Um, That's why I am what I am today as far as um, a lover of movies and all that. Kubrick is definitely one of them with, you know, movies like 2001, uh, Clockwork Orange, um, unique ways of storytelling mixed in with impactful visuals, sound and music. Um, and this definitely was something that really hit me um, when I when I finally saw this movie. Another director like that is um, Tarantino. Moving forward, a more uh, later on director. Um, when I watched Pulp Fiction, I was like, "Oh my God, movies like this can be made!" It, and it made me feel 
I've never experienced anything like this before. It's so unique. It's so different. And it's so fun, right? Uh, intriguing. So, you know, things like that. And then I, I always bring him up, um, Kevin Smith. Kevin Smith and his way of storytelling in the easiest way possible through dialogue. You know, it's it's just phenomenal. And it really opened my eyes up to things like that. So that's why a movie like this means a lot to me because it is something that really broadened my horizons when it comes to movies um, and the possibilities of storytelling out there. Another uh, movie that celebrated uh, a big anniversary is uh, The Royal Tenenbaums. Um, turns 20 um, this past week. 20 years ago, we got The Royal Tenenbaums, um, directed by Wes Anderson, who is currently one of my favorite directors. Anytime Wes Anderson puts out, puts out something, I am there. I am immediately there. I'm watching it. The French Dispatch was released recently, and I love that movie. Um, I have not yet been able to do a review video about it because um, timing, um, and plus it's it's kind of a hard type of movie to kind of review in a five-minute span. I feel like you're going to have to talk about it um, and include it with a lot of movies of its similar type of genre. Right? It's really a indie film in its pure form. Um but Wes Anderson, I was first uh, exposed to Wes Anderson when I watched Rushmore in the theaters. I didn't know what I was going into, but I saw that Bill Murray was attached to it and it looked very quirky, right? And I was very interested at those type of movies at the time. So I went to watch it and I fell in love with it immediately. And I was like, who is this director, right? Then I found out he directed a movie prior to that called Bottle Rocket, which I went back and watched. I also really liked it. But Royal Tenenbaums was the next film that came out after Rushmore that really solidified it for me that Wes Anderson is a director that I really like and enjoy a lot. The cast that he was able to put together, the ensemble of the cast, the uh, cinematography, the use of music, the editing Everything that you are familiar with when it comes to Wes Anderson films, Royal Tenenbaums was the benchmark of that. And you see those benchmarks in all of his movies moving forward. The colors, right? The, you know, like I said, the cinematography, the, 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 the panning, the centering, Right, how he uses a uh, the symmetrical usage of the frames and everything. It's just mind blowing, breathtaking. How he directs his movies, the dialogue—it's so smart and witty, right? Um, I just the and the performances alone in the Royal Tenenbaums. You know, Gene Hackman, which I think this was one of his last movies he'd starred in, was just brilliant across the board. I mean, one of his best movies in his later years, right? Danny Glover, you know, Angelica Houston, Ben Stiller. You got the Wilson brothers, right? Uh, you got uh, Gwyneth Paltrow. I mean, there was just so many great actors and actresses in this movie. And the chemistry they all had, it all worked, you know, and it's just really brilliant. If you haven't watched yet, I highly recommend you check it out. Um, especially if you want a good introduction to Wes Anderson. If you're someone who's not into like an indie type movie or something that's like uh, offbeat from like what you're used to, like Hollywood movies being like, give this one a shot. 
Um, and then if you are interested in this, go back and watch Rushmore because that's another great Anderson, early Anderson film. Because I think, and I could be wrong, a lot of fans of Wes Anderson would consider Royal Tenenbaums to probably be one of their his best. Um, very close to it is in the discussion is um, Rushmore and um, uh, what's the uh, the one that he did recent um, Kingdom Moonrise Kingdom. I think a lot of people would consider that to be one of his more recent tops. I really, really love the French Dispatch. I thought that was so well done. Um, Grand Budapest Hotel is another more recent one that people probably will talk about. Um, but yeah, it, again, the impact that this movie has had on me as a movie fan, as a fan of film, as someone who wouldn't mind dabbling in filmmaking one day, uh, this really opened my eyes up and really, um, you know, showed me the possibilities of storytelling again in a different way in a different format but last on this list and something that again i think more of you will really relate to the lord of the rings fellowship of the ring turned 20 this this past weekend the impact that this movie had in pop culture geek culture nerd culture fantasy culture there's no question the impact that this movie had. The Lord of the Rings have always been a prestigious series uh, in book form. J.R. J.R. Tolkien, R. Tolkien, is uh, one of those considered to be legendary uh, fantasy writers, right? It's also one of those novels that are very hard to read if you can't get through certain things. When he released the hobbit and i first read the hobbit it was a breeze for me i was like oh man i really love this storyline i really love this this world then when i tried to read fellowship of the ring i was like i can't get through this the the usage of words and languages and just how he paces things it i it was hard for me to get through and unfortunately it stopped me from going forward because I read maybe one third of the two towers and I just stopped I just I can't I really couldn't do it <clears throat> I'm not a huge reader I do love reading but you know there are certain books I can't read and th that w unfortunately was one of them now the only way to experience those stories if not in book form was film. However, um, and I just want to look something up really quick because for the longest time, the only way that you were able to um, experience Lord of the Rings in film form was in an animated form. And that was the Lord of the Rings animated film by Ralph Baskey, which came out what I was looking up is the year it came out. It came out in 1978, the year I was born. I remember I first tried to watch it at the age of four because that's when I was really starting to watch movies. I watched my infamous story about uh, my, my younger years from four to six is that um, I watched Gremlins 
uh, in 84 in the movie theater eight times. I love telling that story because it's just, it's, you know, it's crazy. I mean, you, who watches movies that many times in the, th- in the theater, right? But in 84, that was the movie that I really couldn't, I couldn't get over. I, I love that movie. And I put my mom through hell because of that. I put my babysitter through hell because of that. I I want to see it again. I want to see it again. But at the age of four, I was, because, you know, four, I was watching a lot of animated stuff. And I tried watching The Lord of the Rings. And the animation style, for me at that age, was just so bizarre to me. It was kind of almost like photorealistic, but not quite. You know, very, very hard dialogue to understand that young of a, at that young of an age for me. So fast forward in my early teens, I tried to watch it again. I think I was 12 or 13 at the time. And again, my taste in movies and, you know, consuming that stuff was growing. So I wanted to give it another shot. And I watched all the way through. And I was so confused because for any of you who've watched it, the ending of the movie felt unfinished. I was like, what happened? It's like he gave up. And they just gave up on animating the movie. I was like, what's happening here? So I was just like, I don't get this Lord of the Rings crap. You know, I just couldn't. I was just like, what? And at that time, I loved Baskey. There are a lot of films that Ralph Baskey did that I loved. You know, let's name a few, shall we? Wizards. I love that movie. You know, Fritz the Cat, which, of course, I didn't watch at a young age, but I watched it later on, and I thought it was just very, very unique for its time. American Pop. Another great animated film came out in 1981. The one that will always stick in my mind for the longest time is Fire and Ice. If you haven't watched Fire and Ice and you are a big fantasy fan and animation fan, this is a phenomenal movie to watch. It came out in 1983. I remember I rented it from my local video store because the the cover reminded me of like... Um, uh, cover you see on heavy metal magazine right and i think it was Frazetta who who did that cover i could be wrong but anyway um here i'm gonna show you what i'm looking at here but fire and ice and i'll read a synopsis for you right here it's like it's uh this fantastical animated movie by cult filmmaker ralph Baskin finds the villainous necron and his mother queen juliana attacking the human race from their frigid fortress creating mass destruction with huge glaciers necron and juliana incur the wrath of lamb larn a warrior whose entire village was destroyed by ice when necron's underlings kidnapped the beautiful princess tigra Larn sets out to rescue her, assisted by the fierce and enigmatic Dark Wolf. Dark Wolf. That's the name I always remember. Um, But this was a really, again, when I talk about like ahead of its time, I mean, look at this animation. It's it's so phenomenal. And I, I, I really should watch this movie again because I just remember falling in love with this as as a younger kid you know now yeah there's some you know 
nudity and sexual stuff in there. And maybe for someone my age, I shouldn't have been watching this. But it really was fascinating to me. And I think it was because, if I remember correctly, I think it was because of this. Because, again, I watched it later on. You know, I think the first time I watched it, uh, I was five, right? Then I watched it again at eight and in my early teens. And this was one of the things that kind of opened my eyes up to the whole fantasy genre. And I started reading a lot of the you know Dungeons and Dragons books. And it got me wanting to play Dungeons and Dragons because... Uh, this was my foray into the fantasy world, right? And there were a lot of movies similar to that that I really loved, like Krull and, you know, of course, The Never-Ending Story. Um, you know, it really, really opened my eyes up to this type of genre. Conan, of course. Who can forget Conan? And the Hercules movies uh, back in the 80s. So really, really great stuff. Um but when the announcement, and I, I know I went off on a tangent there, but when it was announced that they were finally going to make a live action Lord of the Rings movie, and this director, Peter Jackson, was taking on it, a lot of us didn't think it was going to be possible because they talked about bringing this to live action for a very long time. And similar to Dune, they could never go forward with it, right? Yes, we had the Dune that came out in the 80s, but there was always someone or a group of people who were trying to really do a new telling of Dune and doing a telling of Lord of the Rings in live action form, but staying as true to possible to its source material. And it could just never come out. They could never put it together. But Peter Jackson was said, I'm going to take the reins. I've got the rights to the property. And I teamed up with New Line Cinema, and we're all going to do this. All right. Then they started announcing the cast, you know. And I was like, oh, the cast is pretty interesting, you know. Oh, Ian McKellen, they got Magneto to be Gandalf. You know, Frodo. They got a good old uh, North himself. Uh, you're in a... I, I, I hate when I get brain farts, um, you know, because it happens so regularly nowadays. Elijah Wood, that's it, North. I just, I always call him North, you know, because I always remember that movie North, Elijah Wood. You know, and then you got other people involved, like Liv Tyler, John Reese davis who I loved in the Indiana Jones films. So I was like, all right, that's cool. Sean Astin, I was a huge Goonies guy and still is. I love Goonies. It's like, oh, they got Sean Astin. Wow, all right. They're going to play Hobbits. Kate Blanchett is in the movie, you know. An unknown Andy Serkis was going to play the role of Gollum. And there were news about motion capture and the use of CG and how that was going to play out. You know, this new up-and-comer Orlando Bloom, isn't it? You know, Hugo Weaving and Christopher Lee, who are already well-known or attached to it. Um, then Aragorn was announced, and, you know, Viggo Mortensen. Oh, okay, that's interesting. Don't know much about this guy, but all right. But I needed the proof. I needed to see that this was going to work, right? 
you know, I'll never forget the first trailer that came out. You know, the big epic soundtrack would play and, and you know, the clips and seeing the the fellowship members walking towards the camera and by the camera, you know, as they were announcing like, you know, whatever, the title and all that stuff like that. I was like, holy shit, this looks amazing. This actually looks really damn good. So I was there opening night. That's when um, going to a midnight showing, the date came out, was not really done a lot, but I had to do it. It's like, I got to see this movie. And I, and I think I went far to see it. And I was like, I want, like, I wanted a good experience to watch this movie. And I got a group of friends to go with me. Huge group. I think we were rolling like six to eight deep, if I remember correctly. After that whole opening sequence where it tells you the story about the rings, recapping it as if you're watching like a series on TV. And the special effects, the gravitas of the war, Sauron, the menacing figure. I was like, wow. And I was glued the whole freaking time watching it. You know, how he was able to make the hobbits look tiny compared to Gandalf and everyone else. You know, and just being so enthralled with the story. Now, I've read Fellowship, but this is the first time I felt I understood it with the way the storytelling was done throughout the movie. I really, truly felt like this is the first time I was able to understand it. And I was I was all in. I was all in. And to know that he filmed all these movies at the same time to be released one after the other, year after year. So the first one came out in 2001, then part two was 2002, and part three was 2003. I was like, what a feat. Peter Jackson pulled it off. He really pulled it off. And it started off with Fellowship of the Ring. Because if that didn't work, it would have made the other two things pointless, right? But it captured a lot of us. It captured a lot of us. The action, the battle scenes, you know, Fellowship was very um, story building. A lot of story building. Um, so the real big moment where we finally got to see real actual battle was at the end and you really got to see the, you know the characteristics of everyone in battle for the first time which is very important in fantasy because in order to like have a character that you root for not only do you got to believe in his personality and all that stuff like that but you want to believe that he's able to like carry his own you know, and, and this is someone with like a D&D &D mentality, right? 
but each one brought something to the table. You got Strider, Aragorn, who was like the swordsman, right? But he was also a good archer. Um, you got uh, freaking Legolas, the main archer, the elf, the quick guy, you know. You got Gimli, the dwarf, you know, brute strength, you know, no fear. And then you got the hobbits who, you know, try to do their best. Um, but then you 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 can't think of fellowship without n- not only that big battle at the end, but, you know, in the minds of Moria, right? The cave troll. They've got a cave troll. My God. Oh, let's not forget Sean Bean. You know, Sean Bean, who in every movie that he appears in, he dies. You know, and that was very tragic, his death. As he was redeeming himself, finally, at the end of the movie. Um, But when they were battling all the orcs and the goblins in those caves, the fear it induced in you, too. Like, oh, my God, how are they going to get out of this? The swarm, right? The battle at Weathertop with the ring rates. How he was able to get you frightened and afraid of these things like you didn't want it to have anything to do with them and you wanted the main characters to be able to stay clear away from them right the way they glided on screen you know i mean it was just a well done movie and to really put the fantasy genre in mainstream like that is a huge huge feat and peter jackson solidified himself in history as the the one person who was able to take something that was deemed impossible at the time and made it possible and made it work and it's very rewatchable in my opinion i i can go back to those movies and rewatch them i love rewatching the uncut versions the director's cut the extended versions you know i did when um return of the king came out I did a movie marathon with some friends where we watched the extended version of Fellowship, the extended version of The Two Towers, and it led into the midnight release of Return of the King. I did that. We survived. What was it? We were talking about like eight hours, almost straight with like 30-minute breaks in between movies. That's how much in love I was with this series and how much I, I was in love with these movies. And of course, yeah, I bought the paraphernalia. I bought, you know, toys and shirts and what have you. A lot of us did. But it really, it made a difference when it came to epic storytelling, epic fantasy-driven movies in Hollywood. And it brought it to the forefront. It, it also introduced a lot of... Um, you know, technological advances in movie making, the whole Gollum thing and the motion capture and bringing Andy Serkis to the forefront and the pioneer behind all this stuff. Now, movie studios and everyone has taken that form of technology and used it on their own. You know, for a while, Andy Serkis was the motion capture guy in Hollywood. You know, he carved out a career for himself and turned it into a practice that is now every studio looks into and utilizes, right? Phenomenal. 
Weta Workshop. It brought them into the forefront as one of the go-tos now in um, visual effects. You know, they did a lot of practical stuff too, which was also unheard of at that time because everyone was going CG thanks to Star Wars and George Lucas. But they kept a lot of things practical and blended it really well with CG. You know, just a lot. And I could go on for an hour talking about this stuff. But if you've watched the movies, you know what I'm talking about. You've experienced it. You feel like a lot I feel. Um, and it's kind of amazing to think that it's turned 20 this past weekend. So it, it's definitely um, a movie worth rewatching, you know, if you have the chance to. Uh, if you have kids, maybe something to introduce them to if they haven't seen it yet. Um, I would I wouldn't be surprised if they fall for it and they 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 love this movie and this series of movies because uh, it's definitely worth a watch and it's a lot of fun. And if if someone doesn't want to become a role player after after watching this, then I you know I mean it's fine if you don't want to, but it's very easy for someone to want to fall into this love of genre and want to experience it more, and um, it could lead to potential D and D players in the future, right? If they haven't seen it yet, so. That's it. That's my recap of all the movie anniversaries from this past week. Um, and that's the show. Um, I ended up becoming a more regular show than I expected. But again, you get me talking. That's just what happens, right? Um, but thank you once again for tuning in and joining in on this episode of the Talking Talk Pod Showcast. Again, you could catch episodes of this show uploaded on YouTube every week on Mondays. Uh, I'm keeping to Monday nights for now because it just works really well with the schedule. But in the new year, we'll see what happens there. Uh, but you can also find it on uh, podcast format if you prefer audio. Again, audio listeners, I thank you for listening as well. But you can find it uh, in the Loki Geek uh, podcast channel. Uh, you could find a Talking Talk uh, Podcast episodes there. Um, and you could find it on platforms like apple Podcasts and spotify and things like that don't forget if you have not done so yet hit that subscribe button help support the channel don't forget to like the video uh leave a good rating on audio format and you know download the episodes every week um depending on when you're listening or, or watching this maybe you're just starting your week off or maybe you know you're winding down in your week Make sure, as always, to give yourself time to wind down. Give some time back to yourself. Um, read a book. Watch a favorite movie. Play your favorite video game. Call a friend. Text somebody. You know. Make sure to always utilize your moments to wind down. And also, make sure those that you care about are doing well. Because there's nothing more important than mental health and it's a huge issue right now especially with the last two years that we've been going through so always be mindful of your own mental health and the mental health of your loved ones and be there for them because there will all they will always be there for you i hope all of you have a wonderful and merriest of christmases enjoy the holiday weekend i hope you enjoy it with loved ones and family um friends whatever uh, enjoy the holiday 
and hope you get everything that you want but make sure to just spread the love by you know spending time with people you know and as always stay cool stay classy stay safe and i will catch all of you guys next time peace